Hello, and welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast. Growth Masters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The purpose is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. Your host is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing data-driven, customized business development playbooks. To a federal contractor providing IT services and personnel to their client agencies, arguably the most valuable assets in maintaining customer satisfaction and finding new opportunities are the workers they hire to fill those positions. Achieving these goals requires IT workers to exhibit and exercise leadership and social skills which are often overlooked or underemphasized in employment and training practices. The Savvy Contractor will incorporate a training and mentoring program focused on developing these critical skills. Shirley's guest today is Lou Russell, a nationally recognized author, consultant, and speaker in the field of IT leadership development. Lou is Practice Director of Learning at Russell Martin & Associates, a subsidiary of Mosier Consulting. For over 20 years, Mosier Consulting has provided innovative, managed infrastructure, information technology, big data, application development, and learning services to major corporations and the federal government. And now, here's your host, Shirley Collier, with her guest, Lou Russell. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, our topic today about developing IT leaders is especially crucial for the federal sector, which is fraught with aging infrastructure, limited budgets, a tight labor market, and burdensome procurement regulations. Agency CIOs are being called upon to be innovative, yet protect the public's security and right to privacy. Unlike any time in recent memory, IT leadership is badly needed to usher in advanced technologies and solve extraordinarily complex problems, many that have global implications. It is with this backdrop that I am interviewing Lou Russell, Practice Director of Learning at Russell Martin & Associates, a Mosier consulting company. Lou is an executive consultant, speaker, and the author of nine popular books on IT, HR, and project management, including IT Leadership Alchemy. Welcome, Lou. Thanks, Shirley. What an honor it is to be invited to talk about this. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Lou, let's begin with a little more about what you do for a living. That's funny because I'm trying to define that also. (laughs) (laughs) I am the Managing Practice Director of Learning at Mosier Consulting. Mosier Consulting acquired my learning and development business at the end of 2017. But before that, since 1982, I've been developing and helping learners see themselves more clearly so they can grow to what they'd like to be. I work with basically two audiences. One is HR and one is IT. And of course, they're very different. So describe how you help your clients nurture leadership competency. That's a really great question. I think it's really important, too. Here's what I see in our IT leadership boot camps. In IT, there are 
brilliant, brilliant people who are just wizards at technology, but they may not understand how to be wizards at working with others. Most IT leaders are focused on detailed quality projects, and the people who work for them are doing the same. They're all very comfortable together one-on-one. It's when these IT experts have to work with others outside in the business that things get tough. Many IT leaders are not confident in their ability to influence and connect with these people outside of IT, and they have never been exposed to the business acumen that is required to move up in career, for example, to move into a CIO position. They're very isolated with people just like them, and they don't know how to change. The way we all work has changed drastically, right? Right now, we multitask everything, all day, everything. It's the norm. And that's blasphemy to a strong IT expert who values quality and perfection and detail. You can just feel that. It's intense and it's slow and it's very careful. And that's not the email world that we're in. A move to more agile practices requires constant collaboration and equal roles. And that's coming up fast. So you really can't work alone anymore. These changes can be very difficult for a very talented IT person that's been in the business for a while. Their world has truly been rocked. This is so true, Lou. I see it all the time as well. And, you know, this is even more evident in IT environments in the federal sector. There are many stakeholders, the end user, the contracting offices, regulatory agencies. And of course, there's a blend of government employees and contractors who must all somehow work together. So how do federal agencies benefit when IT practitioners grow into IT leaders? It's funny you should say that because I recently completed one of our IT leadership boot camps for such a group, and it was made up of agency CIOs for the most part. When I walked in the room, the room felt afraid and even somewhat competitive or adversarial. They really didn't know each other, which I was surprised at, and they didn't know the value of networking with people who do different or even similar projects. By the end of the class, though, through self-awareness, simulations, discussions, and feedback from profiles and 360 assessments, they really turned into a cohesive, a different group of people. Not because of anything I did, really, except the stuff I brought with me, but because of what they learned from and about each other. And I think that's critical. The learning has to be in community. I believe that people who know how to manage their emotions and who value the ideas of others, formally or informally, that improves all organizations, including federal and state agencies. Growing your ability to manage your emotions takes practice, but it's very possible. There's no barrier to how much you can grow. And they did some of that growing in that class. So you said that the participants turn into a different group of people. In what ways were they different? Can you give us an example? Well, in one way, they actually had to work with each other. So they actually <laughs> talked to each other. Um, but it's important to realize that each person in this class has a choice whether to grow or not, right, in the people dimension. I don't think many IT developers have ever thought about having that choice before. It's just not on their radar. Through their own, you know, aha experiences in the workshop, they see the choices they have ahead of them. Even if they don't want to become the next CIO, they tend to become friendlier, 
happier, and more collaborative. In fact, this morning, I just walked in the office and three of my peers here, who were also in one of my boot camp classes, yelled hello to me and gave me a big smile. That really didn't happen in the beginning, period. That's a big step for a lot of folks. It really is. Okay, so I can see the benefit of IT leadership development. What is the cost to an agency or to federal contractors of not providing leadership training in IT? I think hate and discontent, but that's a little brutal, I guess. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Um, uh, It just stays the way it is, right? Everyone hates each other and everyone is unhappy. So that that generally doesn't create great outcomes. I'm a really big fan, as you know, of emotional intelligence and and Daniel Goleman, who wrote The Emotional Quotient. And there is definite research that shows that negative emotions create actual blind spots. When you are anxious or stressed or angry, there are parts of your environment you don't see. It's actually like being blind. Um, And so you also can't see your way out. These negative emotions, I think, are costing agencies and their contractors a great deal of invisible money. Constant frustration from lack of funds, support, etc. will cause people to lash out at each other and alienate peers or constituents, which is awful, and it can become contagious. The good news, though, is that a few people with good EQ are also contagious. IT is a perfect example of how this occurs. I think many know that they aren't great with other people, but they don't think they can do anything about it. Like all of us, they prefer to hang out with people just like them, one-on-one, magnifying the lack of customer and team growth together. Think about college curriculums. In most, you're required to take speech and electives outside your major. Many older IT developers and even some of the new ones have gone through rigorous technical programs that did not ever enforce working with others. They didn't have to take a speech class, for example. They're excellent at technology, but never got comfortable hacking how to work with others. I do think this is changing both in colleges and in business, which is great. The other issue, of course, for me is the lack of women in IT, and this is complex. The environment can be uncomfortable for women who really need social interaction. I'm seeing women getting into the edges of IT instead, like digital marketing, social media. But the research about women in the development space shows that not much has changed in the last 30 years. We need to work harder on an environment that both groups can feel comfortable in. I agree 100%. Many young women that I mentor say that it's not that the programming work is difficult. It is because they don't feel welcomed in a heavy technical environment. What is your prescription for CIOs to make their work environments more inclusive and therefore more productive? I think this is a really hard question. If the majority of the male developers are focused on quality and peer one-on-one relationships like they seem to be, and we found that to be the case, They may seem uncomfortable to women who are more often socialized in teams and collaboration, but it's not intentional. They live in their world, we live in our world, right? It's not an intentional thing. Creating mixed teams, for example, like they're doing in an agile approach, really starts to neutralize these differences. I don't disagree that women don't feel welcome, but I have to emphasize that I don't think the male developers are meaning to be unwelcoming. 
I believe that they don't know how to make the women feel welcome because they see things so differently. So it's really complicated because all women do not want the same thing, of course, and the same with men. I hate to say it, but a common CIO strategy is to hire a good enough woman who is not as qualified as a man they hired would be. I am not a fan of women being hired, not because they are good developers, because they are women. I don't think anyone really wants that. I'd recommend that CIOs create a benchmark, and that's what we do here. We create job benchmarks for different roles. This is a service that we use internally and sell to our customers. There are two ways to do this, to start a job benchmark, and the easiest is to identify your three to five top performers, male and female, and use the TTI Trimetrics Assessment to merge the top performers into a job benchmark you can compare new candidates to. But before you do that, you have to test it. So we test the job benchmark usually against people who should not compare well. And I like to use our salespeople for this because they don't match the developer profile at all. <laughs> no, they don't. Using the benchmark, and this is very important, neutralizes unconscious bias because you're comparing a person's strength to a job. We use DISC motivators, EQ, and acumen, not pretending that you have some psychic way to predict a good new employee through an interview. None of us have that. At Mosher, we've built benchmarks for hiring and career planning for a data analyst, team manager, and engagement manager. Now, the second way you can do it if you don't have top performers is you can get people that know the job really well and facilitate a discussion with them to define what the benchmark should be. Either way, you get a great dashboard with a tool that helps compare candidates matched to the job, and this helps you identify when you've gone off into that unconscious bias. Those sound like very reasonable approaches and a very good tool. You mentioned earlier a little bit about Agile. Um, How do these new approaches like Agile and design thinking impact IT leadership programs? Well, I love the people focus of both of those approaches, Agile and design thinking. There's a third one that I like a lot called Duarte. It's D-U-A-R-T-E, similar, more of a graphic approach. I participated in some of the earlier discussions about the Agile Manifesto 20 years ago uh, through Cutter Consortium. I was one of their consultants. And it's funny now, it was a really long time ago. And suddenly, (laughs) Agile's here, you know, after being dormant for for 20 years or whatever. It's gone mainstream. It's a pretty difficult transition for many IT people for all the things we've already talked about because it demands two things that are very hard. One is equality and one is collaboration. In other words, everyone has the same vote and everyone plays together as a team. There's some really interesting HR issues as well if you've seen them in some of the HR magazines. Like if everyone's equal, how do you do bonuses? How do you do promotions? I also see IT staff creating complexity and barriers as they start Agile to cope with their fears, to kind of give them a safe spot to live in that no one else can get in. I'm working with our staff right now here, actually, to define how Mosher views Agile together, and it's really tough for some of the folks to collaborate and share in these meetings. There's this sense of loss of power. Uh, Design thinking is a great approach as well, and I especially like the empathy phase that it starts off with, the idea that you're watching people and learning how they work and learning how you can help them in small ways before you jump into 
designing solutions. In both of the cases, agile and design thinking, I think the goal is clearly to move toward people working together for a shared purpose that provides benefit. I don't see how anyone can argue against that. That seems pretty straight up. Everything will fall into place if people really take the risk and believe that this can be done. Of course, it scares people who have a vested interest in the old secret ways of working yourself in IT. So I don't understand, Lou, what what could be the vested interest in doing things the old way when it appears that the old way was not very productive? Yeah, that's a good question, but it's it's fear-based. You know, when you get into a fear situation, you're not rational. If you've been highly successful working as an independent developer with other single developers, you're going to be frightened by collaborative methods because they're so different than the way you've worked before, and you can't control them. Frightened people create barriers so they can stay where they are, and IT people can be very, very clever at this. I truly believe that the single, deeply technical developer who works alone is going to become a very rare employee. One of the values of our IT leadership boot camp is that we try to provoke more and more collaborative experiences for the developers. Lou, we need to take a break. We'll be back momentarily. Today's podcast on IT leadership is brought to you by Scale to Market, helping businesses thrive and grow in the federal marketplace by developing and executing data-driven, customized business development playbooks. Shirley Collier is your host, and her guest today is Lou Russell of Mosier Consulting. Now back to the podcast. Welcome back. We're talking about IT leadership. Lou, I've heard people say that leadership can't be taught. It's something either you're born with it or not. What is your take on that? Well, I don't think you're born with it. (laughs) First of all, I think that has to be grown. And I do believe you can teach leadership, but there's no guarantee anyone will actually learn. So that's the main point, really. Each learner who attends any of our classes, including our IT Leadership Boot Camp, has a choice. They can stay afraid, they can stay in the job they are intentionally, or they can go for a promotion like a CIO position. It's their choice. It's the individual's choice. I do not make that choice for them. There's no way that we want all those people to be a CIO because there's not enough space as you go up. I love watching the transformations, though, because most do step up into either a bigger space where they live or a bigger space that they can grow into. It's also, though, sad to see the struggle of people who are afraid to risk changing. In our workshops, we use, as I said, assessments and profiles and 360s and lots of simulations. The ones, the simulations they like the best are the ones that have math in them. And then they argue like crazy, which is fun. <laughs> and then, and basically, uh, I don't, you know, if someone asks for help, I help them. I'm so impressed by the distance these people go, how hard the emotional work is, and how hard they work at making these changes. It's pretty phenomenal. Can you give me an example of this hard emotional work done by a student that resulted in a positive change or outcome and what that outcome was? Yeah, there's a lot of those actually, but um, it's, and as I said, it's just amazing to watch. Uh, One of our IT Leadership Bootcamp alumni is one of these brilliant technologist developers. 
and had had a pretty abrasive personality if he didn't get his own way that pretty much repelled or scared others. And he did not see it. You know, we all saw it, but he did not see it. So when he received his initial 360 feedback and then his trimetric CQ and he correlated those, right, he saw that this is data, this must be true because both reports say the same thing, and I need to change the way people see me. So he actually had his eyes wide open to uh, what other people saw him to be, and it wasn't pretty. He came into my office and shared with me that that data from both of those triangulated that brutal truth of how he had been chosen to act, choosing to act, I mean, and he hadn't noticed it. He is working extremely well right now at practicing new behaviors, and he is really transforming, and people are noticing. Some people are probably nervous, but I think in general, it's a really great thing. So, Lou, technology such as artificial intelligence and robotics have significant economic and social implications. In your opinion, what role does leadership play in ensuring that these incredible technologies are leveraged appropriately? Well, if you're not going to leverage those technologies, you're not going to have a job, right? That's the first thing, because that's where we're going. I mean, we're already there, really, if you think of it that way. And in that space, IT has always been sort of untouchable. No one really knows what they're doing. So a leader has difficulty kind of organizing and getting work done in an IT space. Rarely, though, does a healthy organization in the past need fewer IT people, right? You always need more. But it does, in my opinion, seem to be going that way because these technologies are replacing some of the work the IT people do. I see it as this makes people nervous, but I see IT a little bit going the way of blockbusters. Or I read an article one time that large companies in the 30s had a department of uh, electricity in each of their in their hierarchy, and maybe we're the department of electricity that's going away as well. For one reason, with AI and robotics, the programming is being done by machines, and the IT practitioner of the very near future is going to focus on the application of technology, not the technology itself. And that's going to include things we don't really think about in IT, like interpretation, sociology, law. I love Behavioral Economics by Daniel Ariely. There will be fewer IT practitioners who just do technology stuff. Their talents will have to be constantly changing. They have to be cross-functional. They have to see the, the customers and the impact. And they'll be, therefore, less technical and more generalist. Applied technology like these you mentioned will replace building technology very soon, I think, and it's already happening. I, I am aware of multiple 50-plus-year-old programmers who are looking for a job. These kinds of jobs are already disappearing, and they haven't been able to keep up with the trend. No one likes to hear that jobs are disappearing. Wh what advice would you give to these 50-plus-year-old programmers? Well, that's a, you know, that's a tough one. First, they have to see that it's happening, clearly. The other would be for them to look into jobs that will help them grow their people skills, not just being, you know, just right in this little tiny hole where they can only code. The code is really not going to be an option anymore. Yeah. I also think there's a lot of really interesting 
boot camps and uh, launch type, IT launch type organizations who are teaching people, non-traditional students, things like .NET or, or, you know, just IT in general. And they could potentially get involved in some of those, too, to broaden, you know, their surroundings, I believe. Yeah, that's good advice. That's very good advice. Well, it's time to wrap up, Lou. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, I do want to say I love working with IT people. They are so smart and so intentional, and there's so much potential. They have incredible hobbies and lives. We have to be careful how we judge them. Uh, Let me give you an example, which was my problem. There was a man here that was very quiet. I never made eye contact with him. We had never spoken. He must do a tremendous job. He's always heads down coding something. And then I saw him far away at a baseball game recently with his wife and children. He was laughing, talking nonstop. So I think we have to create corporate environments that support both of those, that give people the safety to be quiet and brilliant and be socially laughing and connecting with others. And that's what I like to look forward to. Yes, me too. Lou, thank you so much for your incredible insights today and continue your good work. Well, thank you, Shirley. You too. I really appreciate the invite. For more information on Mosher Consulting, go to MosherIT.com. That's M-O-S-E-R-I-T.com. Our guest today is Lou Russell. She can be reached at lou.russell at mosherit.com. This is your host, Shirley Collier with Skelta Market, signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com. That's scale2market.com and subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal channel on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal podcast.